Hello and welcome to The Partial Historians. Mm. <laughs> I am your host, Dr. Peter Greenfield. <laughs> and I am your other host, Dr. F.J. Radford. <laughs> oh, really? We're going with initials now, are yeah, we? Yes, so it sounds so official that way. <laughs> P.N. Greenfield. Oh, that sounds really good. <laughs> we, could be, we could be British detectives or something. We could, we could. But today we're not. We're no, partial historians. Today we are partially historians. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and today we're tackling the first of our listener requests. It's listener request time. Indeed. Have you requested something? Did you request a study of the goddess Kybele? Yes. Did you? <laughs> if you didn't, it doesn't really matter. She's very interesting. So if you haven't chosen her, or indeed if you've never heard of Kyberly before... That's what we're here for. <laughs> stay tuned. Yes, exactly. Information is coming your way. Indeed. So Kyberly mm. is quite an ancient goddess. Very. Indeed. Uh, and she seems to have had origin in sort of a number of different places in sort of Eastern countries, one might say. Yeah, English accent, my Victorian <laughs> English accent. Just, just to clarify, when we say ancient here, this is even more ancient than we're usually used to. Yeah, we're, we're not talking, talking Bronze Age ancient yeah, here. Yeah, like Troy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're talking Asia Minor as a point of origin. Yes. Um, she has connections, uh, first of all, with a goddess known as Kubaba. Hmm. Kubaba. Akuna Matata. Mm. Uh, and connections to Hittite culture, Hurrian culture, and Sumerian Akkadian culture. My goodness. Mm. <laughs> if you're thinking Middle East, you'd be right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So she comes out of all these different places. There's some sort of local variant which yeah. seems to have a common thread. Yeah, and the thing to keep in mind when we're dealing with a goddess of this level of antiquity, Mm. we're going to be dealing with a broad brush in terms of the sorts of things that she's going to be associated with. Yeah. So she tends to be a catch-all for a whole bunch of concepts. Yeah, and so you'd be forgiven for thinking that she's almost the goddess of freaking everything (laughs) when we tell you that she's associated with fertility. That's quite a Oh, uh, yeah. No, no, yeah. look, I'm just going to interrupt you right there. <laughs> this is one of the How things... Wait, wait, I'm going to interrupt you right there. <laughs> I did not label her a goddess. <laughs> but this is one of my... The, one of the things that makes me mad. Wow, she can't even speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing the power of speech, <laughs> such as the nature of the level of my dissatisfaction <laughs> with this issue. And I understand. I understand. A goddess of fertility. I mean, yeah. hello. Every time you come across a female... And I suppose and it's a tautology, a female goddess yeah. in the ancient world. I'm sorry, but is she or is she not associated with fertility? Yeah, it does seem to be the, the common label to slap on all females. I'm sorry. It's like it's almost as if history over time completely co-opted by men and they see a woman and they're like, I don't know, what could she be associated with? Corn. <laughs> grain. Corn means fertility. Fertility. Yeah. <laughs> Corn grows in the ground. <laughs> Women have babies. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's been a disservice done to goddesses goddesses every time. I'll stop with the voice. Yeah. No, I think it's fair to say, having having gotten that out of my system now. Yeah. That goddesses tend to attract this level of fertility precisely because if we're dealing with something like the Bronze Age, what does a woman do that sets her apart from man? Yeah. 
it is, it is it is the creation of life. It yeah. is the birth process. And obviously, you know, what's a common concern? It's always, you know, food supply and, and, and you know, fertility in terms of food supply, but also mm. in terms of healthy babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone always wants those things. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's probably perhaps not an unjust association <laughs> in this particular no, no, circumstance. No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. I'm got it out my system. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I do. Um, so what are some of the other things that she's associated with? Yes. I'm going to hold this book up just so you can't hit me. <laughs> um, she also seems to be associated um, with uh, curing diseases. Yeah, healing. Yeah, healing, yeah, which mm. is another sort of common one, I suppose, for gods and yeah. goddesses. Um she apparently has, uh, she sort of gives oracles sometimes. Apparently. Yeah, yes. a prophetess. Yes, indeed. Nice. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd hope if, I, if, you, if you ever reach the level of divinity that you'd be able to see something of the future. Well, so, yes, you would. One, one lives in hope. Yeah. I, was, I suppose it's uh, not that you see the future, but that you share it with others. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they even the play future. nice. <laughs> and oracles aren't even necessarily seeing the future, are they? They're more just um, well, pronouncements pronouncements that possibly relate to the future yeah yeah I was, but open to interpretation exactly yeah I, obviously about things that probably haven't happened yet so yeah hence the future anyway i'm getting sidetracked <laughs> i'm getting a little bit picky here anywho mm-hmm. um and she also um obviously is a bit of a protector goddess yeah i think yeah. this is one of the really interesting associations that yeah. Kybele has mm. um being a protector of cities mm. uh, one of the points of iconography that she develops later on mm. um certainly not in the bronze age I might add. Yeah. Uh, is the mural crown. Oh. So we're talking about sort of the crenellations. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that clarified things for people, but. <laughs> the crenellations, <Yeah>. surely. <laughs> surely. Crenellations? Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's something that's uh, another one of her associations. Um, and then she also becomes associated with uh, the sort of wilder aspects of life. As symbolised by the fact that she is sometimes attended by lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she had a, a range of interesting associations. Um, wildness mm. and ferocity. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps uh, as a protectress of cities, you need a little bit of ferocity. Well, yeah, that, that seems part like of a logical connection. Yes, yeah. Indeed. Things get really quite interesting when we move out of the Bronze Age and into the first millennium. Yeah, probably because we actually have more source material at this point. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is quite likely. Yeah. Uh, some of her ritual associations become associated with... Um, Orgies mm. and ecstasy. Mm. Now, we should probably clarify, when we say these things, we're not necessarily, unfortunately, talking about wildly sexual escapades. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, th- I mean, obviously, maybe there was that element, but it's not a guarantee. It, it's a possibility. Yeah. It's more talking about uh, people uh, releasing control of themselves. Yes. Exactly. Engaging freely in movement. Yeah. Celebrating. Yeah, in wild ways. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think a modern parallel that might serve a purpose here is thinking about voodoo. Mm, yes, yes, exactly. Yes, and shamans, things yeah. like this. Yeah, people just sort of yeah feeling free to get yeah. down and funky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and having and and sort of focusing on the bodily experience and the spiritual aspect of yes. that, yeah. rather than any sort of sort of social control. Yeah, it's not necessarily a. Let's rock up, take off all our clothes, and 
party on. Yeah. You're hot. Yeah. I'm hot. Yeah. How about it? Let's just connect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like that. Not like that. No. Uh, but yeah, so she develops that those sorts of um, those sorts of rights around her, um, and gradually she starts to sort of spread. Um, Literally, yeah, <laughs> or metaphorically. No, I'm not insulting her. She wasn't. She wasn't getting bigger <laughs> uh, physically, <laughs> but uh, mm. she starts to journey. Yeah, she starts to like the the spread of her cult. I mean, mm. it's it's obviously spread throughout Asia Minor during the Bronze Age and the early first millennium, anyway. Yes, and we start to see an expansion of it into other areas of the East. Yeah. So we get versions of her cult cropping up mm. in different areas. We get the Frisians. Mm. Uh, we get the Syrians. The Lysians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And without drawing a, a huge map of the ancient world for you, because mm. that would not be visually possible with this. Yeah. Um, suffice it to say that we're starting to see a spread uh, north around the area that will lead us into touching into Thrace and Greece. Mm-hmm. And spreading a little bit south as well, but down towards Egypt. Yes, and so she she ends up having contact with Greek culture. Hmm. Um, and perhaps it is because of this a little bit that uh, the Romans eventually hear. Yeah, her. yeah. So we get this gradual process of her spreading uh, west, if you like, into Greece. Yes. And while this is going on, we're starting to see... Uh, cult participants actively creating or castrating I shouldn't say creation because it's really a negative <laughs> castrating themselves mm. as part of the process of demonstrating their affiliation with her cult. And this is probably something to do with um, her uh, the sort of myth surrounding her lover Attis. Mm. Um, there's, there are a couple of myths surrounding um, Attis uh, which Generally involve castration, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> yeah. she gets him worked up. Yeah. 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 You know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but it gets a little bit out of control. Yeah. Uh, Just a the, little. The yeah. ecstasy, orgiastic thing kicks in. Yeah. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He goes into like a trance yeah. state. Uh, during that trance state, he cuts off his own penis. Yeah. I think he'd need to be in a trance state to do that. Well, he wasn't very pleased when he came out of the trance state. No. Let's put it that way. But nonetheless, way. later followers... What's uh, done is done. Yeah. Well, I dare say it is undoable in that case. Well, this raises questions about gender affiliation in the ancient world. Mm. Uh, one of the aspects of Kaibli's cult, which becomes really interesting, is how much of a man are you if, if you've castrated yourself and chosen castration rather than Having it imposed yeah, upon Yeah, exactly. You. It's not a requirement of this cult. No. Yeah. Not all priests of Kaibali or priestesses of Kaibali need to be castrated. Mm. But if they choose to do so, that places them in a different category yeah. of the of the priestly structure. And it also starts to raise questions about their gender affiliations. Yes. Uh, man, woman, other. Yeah. It's, it's a sticky it's a area. Little, it's yeah. a little bit transgressive. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a bit of a it's it's kind of got that unusual aspect about it, a bit controversial. Hmm. But nonetheless, and certainly involves yeah. a lot of sacrifice. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think most men would agree that is the ultimate sacrifice. Well, one one of the things that's interesting about Kaibali, and mm. and this is 
this is me taking my understanding of what's going on yes. and imposing my interpretation on it. So Good. feel free to disagree. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we are not experts in this cult, we might have. <laughs> <laughs> but it strikes me as really interesting that mm. Kaibali is known uh, also as the Magna Mater. Ah, uh, yes. The Great Mother. Mm. And, and this seems to be something that sort of come through even in the various languages. Mm. Yeah, this sort of idea of be- being a mother goddess. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not surprised the fertility label got attached. Yeah, exactly. But I won't get sidetracked there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's referred to as the Great Mother in, mm. in a range of languages. Mm. And we have these instances of voluntary castration. And I wonder if this is some sort of sacrifice of offering your own fertility mm. to the goddess in order in order to validate hers or strengthen hers in a particular way. Make her virile. <laughs> yeah. Or that yeah, and by like subsuming your own fertility to mm. her power. I like that idea. I do. Mm. I give you full mm. marks for that, Dr. Greenfield. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm gonna to continue to think about it. Yeah, I think it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds awesome. So somewhat unusually, um, I suppose, we find um this goddess being adopted um, by the Romans eventually. We do. Mm. Now, the connection with the Greeks, so Mm. if we're talking about the Eastern proliferation of Kybele, Mm. we're talking Bronze Age, so like 1,500 and into the millennial period, so 1,000 BC, we start to see evidence, strong evidence for a Greek connection Mm -hmm. to Kybele in the 7th and 6th centuries BC. Yep, and this is entering into, you know, sort of uh, the more famous periods of Greece, you know, classical Greece then comes. Yeah, so classical Greece is kicking off in 5th and 4th century, Mm. and so we have Kybele already as an influence there. Yes. But with the Romans, it, the connection comes a lot later. Absolutely. For them. Yeah. Uh, for them, we're talking, we have to step further into time. We're dealing with uh, the Punic War period. Yes. And towards the end of the Second Punic War, we're dealing with what is... Around 205. 205, 204. BC. Yeah. yeah, we start to see a Roman connection develop. So we've got this really long history of like about a thousand years worth of Kybele. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the in the East and in, in Greece. And then, and then we rock up. Yeah. Uh, to <laughs> Rome. Rome. Yes. And basically, I mean, if those of you who are loyal listeners might recall, we have referred to this period in Rome before. Uh, Second Punic War wasn't a hugely prosperous time for Rome. No. Uh, rather the opposite. Um, they were getting their asses severely <laughs> handed to them. <laughs> yeah. But um, they're going to come out of it okay. They but... are. <laughs> they are. They are. But uh, you can understand that they're feeling a little blue. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're reaching the close of the Punic Wars. There's no guarantee that, that there won't be more wars. Obviously, you can't look forward. You can't know the future when you're living at the time. Yes. Um, but certainly there is a sense in which the Romans believe strongly that they need to uh, compensate mm. with the gods in some way, rectify their relationship with the gods. Yeah, because they see... Things have been going poorly, so... Exactly. Something must be wrong. Yeah. yeah. How, do, how do we restore this, this our relationship with the gods? And Shockingly, they... <laughs> We're not talking, yeah. We're not talking. We're not talking about the sacrifice of festival though that did happen around this time. (laughs) Shh. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. This is traumatizing you. (laughs) Um. So instead, they figure out that uh, we better we better consult someone, a higher authority. 
Yeah. You can tell us well, what we're doing wrong. And who would you consult in a situation this dire? Well, I know I'd go to the numero uno oracle, the <laughs> Delphic oracle, and duh. <laughs> Get some sibylline action happening exactly. in there. Yeah. You'd be a fool so, not to. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they go to the oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the sibyls kindly recommend uh, that maybe it would be worthwhile bringing in a, a new goddess into the mix. Mm. And, of course, uh, although this is a far uh, the Romans, obviously, a polytheistic society, so adding one more to the mix. Yeah, I yeah, she's clearly not of Roman origin. There's no way that they could argue that, and they mm. don't. They don't even try. No, no. Uh, they openly acknowledge that they're, yeah. they're bringing in this foreign goddess, and yeah. they make a bit of a of a, a spectacle of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Kybele iconography wise, at at this stage, is she's a hunk of rock. Yeah, it's not the most sexy image. <laughs> I mean, you think goddess. If I could paint think... you a picture, it'd be a very nice rock. Yeah, <laughs> but shiny? it's not. It's not a carved rock. No, just a. Heap um, of rock. no, not yes. I mean, when you think goddess, you might think, hmm, Angelina Jolie with her hair <laughs> curled and all those Anatolian goddesses which have their boobs hanging out exactly. of their dress, and you're like, that's nice. I'll have one of those fertility goddesses. Exactly, but no, no, no. no she's a meteorite apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that actually sounds kind of awesome, but yeah, but yeah not, to, not, to, not to look at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Beauty's so, on the inside. Yeah, so basically um, they make this spectacle out of welcoming this rock. <laughs> Bring in the stone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it, welcoming it into... Yeah, yeah. They have a parade up the river. There's a procession. You know, uh, they've delegated one of their best young, bright citizens, uh, one of the Scipios, uh, to be in charge. Nausicaa, I believe. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you so he, he's apparently, you know, an outstanding the, example. The finest young man of his generation. Exactly. So he's perfect for the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send him out. Yeah, and of course there is a little bit of confusion in the sources. Like, some of them include details, obviously, which others don't. What else is new? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we do also hear about, you know, the matrons. Yeah, look, there's a whole parade of citizenry down to the riverbank yeah. uh, to watch the final stage of the procession of the Kyberly Stone into Rome. Yeah. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, <laughs> nothing ever runs according to the schedule. <laughs> uh, the barge with the rock on it gets stuck. Damn. When that happens, I know Ugh, everything is going so well. Does this mean the goddess doesn't want to be part of Rome? Yeah, this might not be a good sign. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's a good sign, guys. <laughs> what are they going to do <laughs> now? At the same time, we get some really interesting stories mm. uh, relating to a matrona mm. called Claudia Quinta. Mm, I like that name, <laughs> very Cla- sensitive to names. Claudia Quinta, mm. uh, and we hear in Ovid that um, she unfortunately. Uh, had a bit of reputation, a bit of a bad reputation. Mm, apparently, she did her hair in a few different styles, and that just made her seem outrageous. Way too fast, yeah. Yeah. What kind of woman does that? A yeah. woman who's looking for attention—that's who. <laughs> what kind of attention? The wrong kind of attention. <laughs> Ladies, <laughs> never change your hairstyle. Exactly. And she was also uh, a little bit too elegant, but too refined in her appearance. A bit too witty. A little bit too witty. Mm. Yeah, this seems to be the problem as well. It's tough being funny. Yeah. <laughs> when you're a woman in the ancient world. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so uh, this woman has a has this whole bit of a, a smear on her reputation, but the sources do tell us that she was actually, in reality, chaste. 
Yes. Yes. This is yes. suspicion. Now, yeah. this is interesting. You might be thinking to yourself, "How? What has this got to do with Kyberly? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've gotten totally off topic. No. Now there seems to be there is a strong conflation in all of the sources. Yes. From the Roman end of things. Yes. For this, uh, the fact that the barge stops being connected in some way. Yeah. To the questionable chastity mm. of this matron, Claudia Quinta. Mm. This is why we bring her up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I hear you say, but how would anybody ever make that connection? And Quite my, logically. <laughs> my answer to that would be, don't ask those sorts of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the question you want to ask. Uh, nevertheless, there seems to be this idea that the matrons are part of the welcoming committee, if you like, and the chastity of the matrons as a collective is yes. important to ensure the smooth entrance. Just like Scipio is a shining example of manhood. Yeah. For and so he represents the the male aspect of the Roman population. The group of matrona on the shore collectively represent uh womanhood yeah. in Rome and the best that womanhood can offer. So if there is any question over the chastity of any of the matrons in the group, this is going to have a direct connection with the procession of the barge. Absolutely. And this is precisely what happens. Exactly. But Claudia Quinta, mm, mm. she becomes involved um, mm. because when things get stuck and aren't going so well. Well, yeah, so things get stuck and yeah. you would think, well, she's the one that they end up pointing the finger at. The matrons are sort of like, well, yeah, how about you? Yeah. And, and everybody you else, have a fancy hair. And, and then <laughs> everybody else on the bank at the same time is here, like, yeah, you, yeah. With the hairstyles. We've and always suspected something was up with you. You're a bit bit too funny yeah <laughs> you are the problem and yeah. so claudia quinta takes it upon herself to do something about this yes hops into the river yep <laughs> logical logical yeah yeah <laughs> uh supplicates the gods yes uh a few times three times she pours some water over herself yeah basically asking you know you know to be judged essentially. yeah she says yeah. to kibley look if i've done this thing if i'm unchaste by all means you know like let the punishment happen strike me dead <laughs> yeah yeah but if i'm chased like i know i am like yes. come on just move yeah barge, move and so apparently she you know like maybe pulls on the rope a little bit and magically Ta-da. it's unstuck. yeah because it's not like the romans didn't try to move it themselves oh yeah they did they did yeah they yeah. did they didn't they just did. start pointing fingers straight away no <laughs> they I mean, didn't do they... the logical thing of physical force <laughs> <laughs> they're engineers for goodness sake yeah. they did try yeah um miraculously yeah with her touch after the supplications yes the barge moves and all is well again for claudia quinta <laughs> mm, mm. and highly enters into rome doesn't this sound so much like a vestal though this this story about a woman who's suspected of wrongdoing because of her appearance and being a little bit too good with the jokes <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh yeah and yeah. indeed in some of our later source material from the imperial period so jumping ahead another couple of hundred years mm. we do start to see claudia quinta described as a vestal. Well, what do you make of that, expert? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a whole other episode. <laughs> fair expert. Enough. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So Kylie enters into Rome. Mm. Yes. And so she has to be set up somewhere. She does. Mm. And you'd think to yourself, well, where would you place a foreign goddess mm. in a city like Rome? Perhaps on the outskirts, modern I think. Well, outside the pomerium, outside the protective zone of the city, yes. you would think. But... Interestingly, and perhaps related to the fact that she is a, a protecting goddess of yes. cities mm. and fortifications, they place a smack bang in the middle uh, of the sacred area of the city, which is highly unusual for mm. a foreign deity. Wow. And they place her on the Palatine. 
amazeballs. I know. <laughs> and so she and there served, she remains. Exactly. <laughs> and she's served by um, her priests. Not uh, Romans. Not Romans. Romans aren't allowed to serve. Exactly. Uh, therefore, presumably... <laughs> it seems that like the uh, the more extreme aspects of her cult, the castration and the orgiastic. Yes, yeah. understandably, the Romans aren't don't, crazy about this. Yeah, <laughs> don't really go hand in hand with what the Romans are used to. So. Yeah, like that you can do they, them, but only if you're not yeah, a citizen. They put a bit of a kibosh on. Yeah, the like if you're like, like joining, if you're like a slave, or if you're like. A, that kind of stuff's alright for you, but not, <laughs> not for the citizens. Thank you very much. Yeah. And they're also restricted on how often they can process through the city. Yeah. They're given very particular dates for that. Yes. Um, and they do they do get to have a festival, which is kind of like their their big deal. Yep. Uh, which crops up in April or March. Yeah, around March, April, and they get to celebrate what they're all about. Shake their moneymakers, their symbols, yeah, their yeah. Encourage <laughs> more people to castrate themselves. <laughs> I wonder how much. Obviously, obviously, you know, it's a sort of uh, religion which has to be on the outskirts a little bit because if you have everybody join it that's going to be a problem well yes exactly the well-being of the state would not be a shock <laughs> uh, so yes you... way to ruin the city guys yeah, the Romans are so <laughs> practical in the way they think <laughs> through these things perhaps perhaps yes and so that uh, that brings us I suppose to the end of our little chat about uh Kyberly. Kyberly. she's yeah. made it to Rome and mm. there she remains mm-hmm. protecting the city for many, many years to come. Yeah, well, it, it lasts for a good while, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Mm. Quite happily progresses. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Tune in next time. Ooh, next time. More listener requests. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. Mm. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.